As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me somebody I've known for a very long time, somebody who was a private client of mine back in New York, back in the day. Dear, dear heart, an activist, uh, a gal who's had a lifelong career in the media, entrepreneur, journalist, photographer, advocate, Amanda Decadene. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Elena. What a treat. Hi, my to- love. What a treat for you to ask right? me on your pod. I'm so excited. Dude, I'm so excited. I've been obsessed for a long time with the conversation. Um, I wrote a blog a long time ago. I'm going to read to you the introduction because I think it introduces you quite well. Long flights on airplanes are always where I get my simplest and strongest inspiration for living my life. And my flight home from teaching in Paris was no exception. After wondering about the show for months, I watched a potent compilation of clips from several interviews from Amanda Decadene's show, The Conversation. Amanda and I worked together years ago, just before and at the beginning of her pregnancy with her twins. I adore and respect her deeply, just so the reader is clear on my total bias, is what I wrote. Mm -hmm. Uh, Watching this show, I was smitten with Amanda's casual, pointed style of engagement, the way in which you make it safe for each woman to speak freely. Um, naturally, I began taking notes, and in boldface, interspersed with my notes about each interview, are thoughts offered by each. I referenced Jane Fonda. I referenced mm-hmm. Gwyneth. I referenced Sarah Silverman, Zoe Saldana. Wow. When each was asked what she would tell her 14-year-old self, I'm just going to go through that, and then we're going to start talking. Jane Fonda said, it's okay to say no. Huh, yeah. Sarah Silverman said, keep your overhead low and tell great stories. (laughs) Jane Fonda also said, your attitude, how you feel, your spirit is an inside job. Yes, it is. Gwyneth, my dear heart, said, follow the signs and trust in them. We should all be following our own truth. What's the point in holding yourself back? Mm. And... Oh my God, what you have done. Now you're creating a new, entirely new uh, platform for the conversation. And I want to learn all about that. Mm. I want to thank you for the work that you've done for opening space for women to be real and to just find out more about your history because I I realize I don't know enough about that. Mm, Thank you so much. It was so good to hear back from you what, those specific women on the conversation said, because the power of those interviews, which, you know, I started doing about eight years ago, they Mm. still hold true today. Mm. One of the incredible things about, about the conversation as a, as a format is that we never really talk about 
you know, the traditional things that people go on interviews to talk about, like that no one's promoting a product. It's really about sharing their life journey and their knowledge and their wisdom so that other women and people all over the world can have access to these, those same insights. And yeah. even just hearing that back, I was like, oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. That's so true. Like, I, I immediately, my my heart beat slowed down and I started breathing differently just, just hearing those those answers back, you know. So, yes. gosh, just powerful, powerful. The uh, Jane also had a couple of other um, notes that I think I want to repeat for our listener in the back. She said, we must eventually arrive at the fact that nobody is coming to make our lives better. And so true. <laughs> Only we can do that for ourselves. Wow. Right? It's like, and it's the hugest bummer and it's the most empowering news. Yeah, because it's not, we're not reliant on anyone else. I mean, you know, I was having a conversation with my 14-year-old um, daughter, Ella, yesterday, and I was paraphrasing that ultimately with saying this is your life this is mm. your one life and no one but you can decide how you want to spend each day nobody right. but you and it's ultimately up to you what you do and the choices you make and and I can help you and support you in any and every way I can but at the end of the day I'm not you and you right. are in charge of your life, not me. Right. And she was like, I don't really understand what you mean. And, and I, I, I was like, I know, and I can't really expect you to, you're 14, but I so want you to know this at 14 because yes. it will save you so many years of looking outside of yourself for the answers. And they just, they just are not there in the, in the sense of, yes, I've gained so much wisdom and insight from, you know, the incredible people that I've met along the way. And, you know, you being one of them and just people who are wise and insightful and have shared their journeys with me and all the wonderful books that I've read and, and experiences that I've had. But ultimately, I am the person that has to, you know, collate all of that and then bring it internal within me and then make choices based on, on what I think. Um, and I, I wish that I could explain that in a way that made sense to my 14-year-old, but there is something about the need to live life and experience um, life before we can somehow really internalize that and know that. Yeah. And the truth of loss. And uh, another thing that Jane said, as women, she said, if we abandon ourselves, we are, in essence, teaching others to abandon us. Yeah. And God, isn't that true? And yet staying committed to yourself mm. and not mm. bailing on you or mistreating you is one of the hardest things to do. It just yes. is so counterproductive, but it is that at least I have found it that way where, I mean, I, I wrote about this actually in my book, it's messy. And you know, you said earlier that you don't, you realize you don't know a lot about my, my upbringing and my background. And I'll just give you a couple of bullet points of sort of Please. defining things. But, um, and I was as well explaining to my, my 14 year old daughter yesterday that when I was her age, I spent eight months in juvie and 
I went to stay with a friend because I my home life was very troublesome and I was reported uh, by my family as a missing person, although they did know where I was. They knew where I was because they gave the police the address where I was and the police showed up. And as a missing person, they have a right to um, bring you into custody and then to um, in my case, I was made a ward of court, which means that my parents lost wow. control and care and were not able to make decisions on my behalf and um, didn't have any jurisdiction over what happened to me. And so I was then put into the, the social services system and I was consequently admitted to juvie. And I stayed there for between eight and nine months until my parents got uh, legal control of me back. So I was explaining this to my daughter um, as one of the most, um, you know, disturbing, terrifying experiences of my life. And, you know, that was definitely a very defining moment, but more than anything, it taught me that even though I was in juvie with kids who on the outside had very different life circumstances to me, what I realized in there was that the emotional life of every human being, um, we all, we all, we all, uh, we all have, you know, other than our zip code, right. And the kind of differentiating markers, but we're all having, you know, we're human beings trying to do the best we can. And we're all having a similar experience. Uh, no one's got kind of a more, no one has more emotions than anyone else. No one has, we've all, you know, we're, we're, we're spiritual beings having a human experience as far as I can see. And I learned that really early on that there are so many, there's more, there's more that connects me than separates me from anybody else that I could randomly pick. And I learned that in there in juvie, because even though, you know, I sure as hell look different and talk different than most of the kids, there was no one else like me in there. Um, I related deeply to the emotional experiences that so many of the other kids were having and it taught me connectivity and it taught me that um, I am connected through my emotional experiences with people and it taught me to understand other people who just who looked and sounded differently to me and to find the common ground and to know that there is there is common um, experience life experiences that we can connect with each other over our shared experiences and that experience was a phenomenal gift for me. I don't think I would have been able to interview people in the way that I do had I not have had that experience in juvie because it just taught me this phenomenal um, perspective, which is we are more similar than we are different. Yeah. And, um, you know, kind of going back to the defining moments in childhood, you know, that definitely defined me. Um getting out of juvie and needing a job and getting the opportunity. I literally, nobody would hire me and I needed a job. I needed money and I went for an audition. I didn't know anything about Hollywood or acting or being on TV or any of that. And I just met someone who said, oh, you should go and interview for this job. It's a TV show that's looking for people to interview people. <laughs> and I was like, wow. well, I'll give it a go. And I went and I got this job. And so I was hosting live late night TV in the UK at age 15. And it was one of oh my shows God. in the UK. Yeah. And so I went from kind of being this schoolgirl who went to juvie 
who got out, who got a job on TV and then became a household name. And so then I was growing up in the public eye and as a teenager, having just come out of juvie, who got this job, who really doesn't have a sense of identity to then be thrust into the public eye where there's all kinds of projections that are aimed at you. Um, you know, that was a phenomenal learning experience because by the age of 19, I was married and pregnant with my first daughter. And, um, and that's when I kind of realized that I needed to step away from public life in order to work out who the hell I was because I was about to be a mother and I'm bringing a child into the world and I'm 19 and I've had this wealth of experience in such a short period of time. And yet I had no sense of who I was. And so that kind of began my journey of understanding that um, it is an inside job, <laughs> a lifelong journey, a lifelong journey that I am still on and still learning and never profess to have all the answers. Um, I have the answers that I need for periods of time and then I feel like I know nothing again. Wow. Okay. So I know nothing about this. Literally, I knew nothing about this at all. I just Googled Amanda Decadene Young, and I'm learning that the father of that baby has now passed on. Is that true? No. No. Some, I'm looking at a picture that says Nick something. Oh, yes. So that was, yes. Okay. So Atlanta, my daughter, her dad is called yes. John Taylor, and he is alive and well. My, okay, my, um, one of my, I've had not many long-term relationships, weirdly. Mm -hmm. I was with Atlanta's dad, John, um, from age hmm, 17 to 22. Wait, John Taylor, as in the very first concert I ever saw by myself? Probably if you're talking about a Duran Duran concert. Then. Oh my <laughs> God, dude, this is too much. <laughs> oh my God. It's too much. Yes, that would be oh my, my first husband and um, <laughs> Atlanta's dad. Um, so, yeah, that was my first relationship, my first kind of see. experience of love and companionship, mm. and and uh, and that's Atlanta's dad. And then, wow. um, and then I, you know, I have had a very close relationship with um, another guy uh, who I was with for many years, but, and I've been married for 20 years now, but the man that you're referring to is a guy who I was with um, for about four years who did recently, recently die. And um, he was, he was a very important figure to Atlanta. So Got it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, look, grief that and loss sense. are my kind of like my go-to subjects. So, um, you know, we've we've been in full-on processing um, a lot, of, a lot of grief Got and it. loss of late. Got it. I'm sort of blown away here, less slightly <laughs> speechless, which is never happening to me. Isn't that great when oh, that happens, though, Elena? I'm I really love it. speechless. When it happens, I'm like, wow, I love yeah. it. Gwyneth said something in her interview with you that that I think bears repeating here. She said it's our responsibility to find the legacy in any loss. Yeah, I mean, quote. I do agree with that. I feel yeah. like 
I feel like I've been very transparent with my journey. Um, if you listen to both series of the conversation and you then listen to the podcast version, which I'm doing at the moment, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm actually in the middle of doing a special series of the conversation on healing and recovery because I felt that the last few years of the world's life has been fraught with loss and immense change and the amount of grief and um, accelerated emotional distress and mental health and addiction issues and Mm. all of the things that we're barely scratching the surface on at this point, but we know are there. I felt like I wanted to speak to people who could really help support the global community who listen to the conversation and who watch the show and listen to the podcast and hopefully will join us in our community that we're launching. Yes. But that series is very much focused on the people whose work I respect and admire, people like, um, you know, Gabo Mate and, oh, there's an amazing list of people who I've been speaking to. And good. Because I want to learn as well. I want to learn and I want to be able to, you know, keep growing and I want to be able to continue to be the person who can facilitate sharing information from incredibly wise individuals. Um, and, And I have the opportunity to do that through the conversation. So, you know, I think going back to what Gwyneth said, For me, at least, I have really come to embrace the many heartbreaking life experiences that I've had because I've been able to turn them into such a gift by sharing them with someone else who's also going through that same thing. And you know this because you do it so beautifully through your work. But to bear witness to someone else's suffering in whatever capacity that is and to be able to be there with them and to see them without judgment and to see them with love and compassion and to be able to look at them and to say, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. That for me has been the gift of all of my trauma, because I am blessed to be able to sit with so many different people in my life and to have had the phenomenal blessing of being able to say that to them because I have, I have experienced a lot, you know, and to say, Hey, I am here with you. And I survived that. Hmm. And you can too. You were sober at 21. is my understanding. I was, I got sober at 21 because I knew that I could not have the life I wanted to have whilst I was self-medicating to the degree that I was. My pain was so immense that I surely would have killed myself at some point had I not have chosen sobriety. And the gift of sobriety was really brought to me by being pregnant with my daughter. And I, I got sober for her and I've stayed sober for me. 
and sobriety is the absolute cornerstone and anchor of me and everything that I have done in my life from getting sober. It is, it is all stems from that. Without that, I don't believe I would have anything like the life that I have today. Brilliant. I have seven years and about a month, month or two from now. So I'm with you there. Yeah. It's so grateful for that. Right. Wow. Yeah. I mean, wow. Thank God. Thank God. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to talk about girl gaze because I think it's one of the most incredible initiatives that you have going aside from obviously the conversation community, which is starting soon. I've just signed up. Yay! Tell us the website. Tell us the website quick. Um, so, so the, when I launched the conversation, you know, however many years ago it was now, I felt strongly that the private conversations that I was having in my home needed to be made public to share those insights and wisdom. And I mm. now feel, you know, eight, nine years later that we're in a very different cultural climate and the risk of sharing, um, you know, personal intimate details about yourself and your process um, publicly, the risk is too high because in order to grow, we have to be able to take risks. We have to be able to fail. We have to, we will fuck up. We'll say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. That's part of growth, but we can't do that publicly anymore because of the culture that we are in. And with the hyper critical lens that unfortunately is on every single person who is, you know, has a voice in any capacity. Right. Um, and I don't just mean people who are known. I mean someone who's just on social media, you know. Totally. So I decided to build a community for the conversation that was private and that was a safe space to allow people to learn about the subjects that we talk about on the conversation, like, you know, relationships and love and spirituality and trauma and faith and recovery and our relationship to our bodies and relationship to money and, you know, parenting. So I built a community that really is an invitation to be in a safe environment, to be able to work one-on-one with incredible teachers and people who can share their wisdom, share their experience, and also be part of a community who have the same shared interests and goals as you do. And it's a private space. And the reason I made it private is purely because I firmly believe that we have to be able to allow ourselves to be messy in order to grow. And I want people to feel safe to do that. So we're launching on September 9th. Um, You can sign up on amandadecadene.com or any of my socials at amandadecadene across everything will be um, easy to find the community. And, you know, I will be in there. Um, I would love for you to come in, Elena, and, and, and be a part of it. I'm in. Uh, great. Um, and I'm just hoping that, you know, I can, I can create a space that is um, where people know that they can go to feel safe and learn. Which leads me to girl gaze, which I think is important to talk about because it began as a social media hashtag, G-I-R-L-G-A-Z-E. And it was a call, a social media call to arms, as yeah. Fast Company says, for photo and video portraits of women made by female identifying visual artists. Mm-hmm. It's become something new. 
It's now a full-blown talent network of more than 200,000 female and non-binary photographers, directors, writers, and other creatives. Uh, the platform thus far has connected those folks with companies like Dove and Warby Parker and provided members with more than, get this, 2,500 gigs since 2016. This was written last year. You basically now have launched a subscription model that provides brands and other hiring parties with direct access to the talent who are on the platform, which is a potential boon for marginalized artists during, obviously, these very challenging times economically and otherwise. What a genius, what a gift, and what a generosity this is. Can you please explain how this all came about? Yeah. So um, it all came about because I am constantly seeking to align myself with projects that allow me to be of service in the greatest capacity. And I never really know what that's going to be. I try to stay anchored in that prayer. How can I best be of service? And one day I had just interviewed Hillary Clinton. She had announced she was running for president. She had done her first sit down with me on the conversation and which was a huge honor and a big surprise to me because normally it would be on like Anderson Cooper or Diane Sawyer. And I was, it was like a bucket list check for me. I was like, oh my God, this is so major. Um, I had just interviewed Hillary and I was thinking, where do I go from here with the conversation? And in my meditations and in my prayer, I had really been asking for kind of guidance on what can I do that isn't focused on me so much? I can't replicate me to do, do conversations all over the world because there's only one of me. But what can I do? How can I lend my expertise, my privilege, my relationships, my insight? How can I lend it to something that is really about empowering as many women and girls and non-binary humans as possible? And this idea of girl gaze came to me, which was the female perspective has been so marginalized and so oppressed for so long. And I am one of the people who as a photographer and as someone who has created my own media because no one gave me the opportunity outside of that first gig I got when I was 15, no one gave me a job on a TV show interviewing anyone. I've had to create my own shows from the ground up. Uh, I've never been given an opportunity to host an existing show or be slotted into someone else's show. I've always had to forge my own path. And I'm someone who is resourceful, who is determined, who has experience and relationships and connections. And it has been extremely hard for me. And so it occurred mm -hmm. to me, if it is this hard for me, what is it like for other people that don't have what I have? And so I came up with the idea for Girl Gaze, which was I'm launching a hashtag, hashtag Girl Gaze. I am going out to my network to everybody I know that has any influence anywhere. And I'm saying, please, can you support uplifting the female perspective through sharing hashtag girl gaze and asking your community to share their, their images that depict a female perspective. It could be a anything. Please support this mission. And within the first six months, we had, I think, over half a million submissions using hashtag girl gaze. Wow. 
I think wow. we have over 6 million submissions now, if you check hashtag GoGaze. And shortly after that, I, and I started an Instagram account because the work was so incredible. I was looking at what was submitted. I was like, oh my God, I was feeling so inspired. And I was like, people have to start hiring these people. And so I started an Instagram account. And sure enough, my community, which consists of all types of people, but one demographic of my community are women who are CMOs or CEOs who work at brands or who work in media in some way. And God bless all those women who started following that account and then sending Mm -hmm. me messages saying, this work is amazing. I want to hire this girl or that girl, or you posted a picture of a girl doing this. Like, can I, can you connect me with that photographer? I want to hire her. And so my belief is that if a biz, if something is needed, if there is a need for it, it can grow, it can have a life, it can have legs and girl gaze was needed. And so we could not have predicted that Trump would be elected at that time. And the uprising of the the women who were so horrified that that man was in office, the women's movement picked up steam like it hasn't done since the 60s and 70s. And that opened the floodgates for people who had never before thought about the prejudice and the oppression and the marginalization of people who identify as female or trans or non-binary. It opened the floodgates. It shone a light on something that I had been experiencing my whole life and that my friends of color had been experiencing at another level than what I had. And Mm -hmm. suddenly the conversation that I had been having for many years that people were kind of sick of hearing about from me was getting headlines. And so many other people grasped hold of this, you know, reality that women needed to be heard and seen, that they deserved equal representation, equal rights, that we no longer should be treated the way that we have been treated for generations. And that that swell in the women's movement lifted an elevated girl gaze and put us front and center in the eye of every media company and brand who suddenly wanted to hire female. And the company grew. It took off. And at some point, remember, I'm I'm a photographer and I'm an interviewer. And I was making my TV show. I was not planning on suddenly running a business like this. But of course, because the need was there, I was like, right, we're going with this. This is great. This is the vehicle I was praying about. This is the vehicle where I can lend all of my skills to empower so many other people and to give to people on a mass level. And that's what we did. And so I ended up raising money, which was another story. One we don't have time to get into, but very challenging as a female founder. For sure. I built a tech platform. I brought in an incredible uh, co-founder and COO. We built a tech platform where we have turned this hashtag call to action and mission into a phenomenal thriving uh, marketplace where anybody can pay a subscription and hire this phenomenal community in in a variety of audio visual um, skills. And that company today 
Um, we have provided over $3.5 million of fees in jobs to our community. Wow. We have had people who were on food stamps who now pay their own rent and live in their own apartment. We have people who paid off their, their college, um, the money that they owed for college. We have people who were able to pay their medical bills. We have people who, I have one girl who, um, lived in the back of her car and is now shooting covers of Elle magazine. And I'm, and I'm not saying that it is just to do with go gays. And I have had I've had the most beautiful conversations with so many of the girls in our community who have been so filled with thanks for girl gaze. And yes, girl gaze facilitated the the opportunity. But as I say to them, we, the thing that we did was allow you to be seen. Your work Mm. and your talent and your point of view is what got you hired. Your work got you hired. We just created the vehicle for you to be visible. But you are the one who's doing this. And that to me is true empowerment when you put tools into people's hands so that they can do what they're born to do. And that's what the Girl Gaze platform does. It gives a visibility tool to any female non-binary trans creative who wants to be hired for their work. The reason, if I may reflect this back to you for your success here is that you are constantly in service of other people. And you said it so yourself, any a business can only flourish if it's rooted in the service of others. I do believe that's true. Yeah. And I, you know, when I said that, I said, I've been saying that for many years and I think, you know, there's giant corporations that are thinking like, that's bullshit because we're not rooted Mm -hmm. in service and we're doing great. But guess what? We have had a cultural reckoning over the last, you know, three or four years um, that 100%, if a company is not rooted in service and does not genuinely, not just pay lip service, but genuinely support a mission that they are, they are really invested in. The, that everyone knows about it now. So I don't know. I think it's more true today than it's ever been. Yeah, no, that is, there's no question as I listen to you speak and as I hear the stats of what you've created, sort of unintentionally, that if it's in service to our listener, if you are in service, your business will flourish in whatever way it's meant to. I truly believe that. And it may not be the shape that you envisioned. It may not be what your business plan looks like. It may be different, but what I know to be true is that if you are continuously realigning with where you are needed to be, to be of maximum service, magic can happen and you can, something can happen that you couldn't have dreamt up. I mean, I did not dream up goal gaze. I can tell you It, it was me following where I could really be of most impact. Yeah. I'm so proud of you, woman. Um, Thank you. I, yeah, thank you so much. I just want to put myself in the way of whatever you need. I'm more than happy to be of service in any capacity. I'm going to become a member of the conversation platform because I, it feels important right now to, to be in support of other women and something that, Uh, I think it was Gwyneth who said, 
she said something about how hard it all is, and we're all in this together, and can't women just be on each other's side to help each other get through it? And I want to sort of close with that and anything that you would like to add to that, because that feels like the most important thing. It is very important. Something I want to add to that, though, is having worked with a very singular lens on women and girls and the non-binary experience for most of my career, I also feel very strongly that we need to create a communal space where men and women and all genders can communicate and find a way to have difficult dialogue and to understand each other because you know I'm married to a guy for 20 years I have a 14 year old son some of my best friends are men and it saddens me greatly to see this immense divide between genders and I want to focus you know a considerable amount of my time um in the, in the upcoming couple of years on how do we build bridges? And I, I want to help build bridges between genders. And so I am actually doing a whole series with men for the first time because we've got to start getting into it and asking those uncomfortable conversations and shedding light on the areas where we need healing and where we can help usher in new models and new paradigms so that we can alleviate some of the historical trauma Mm -hmm. that has been omnipresent for way too long. Yeah. Thank you for saying all of that. I get so stuck often in the prevailing paradigm, and I really appreciate the reminder about not just men, but also non-binary, trans, Mm -hmm. uh, identifying people who are, who are have never been more important right now. Yep. Absolutely. Amanda, you are my hero. I'm sure are the hero for many of us. And we all thank you. I, I cannot wait to work again with you in the future in any capacity that you'll have me. Thank you for that ongoing offer. I just yes. want to say that, you know, in closing here that I have a lot of respect for you and the work mm. that you do. And um, you know, I have been, look, I have your beautiful journal and um, thank you for the gorgeous gift that you sent me with those cards and everything you do has so much heart and genuine love and authenticity built into it. And I also will be, be so grateful to be a part of anything that you do. So thank you for being you in the world, Elena. Bless. Have an awesome rest of your day and we'll talk again soon. Yes, we will. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. 
My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens dot com forward slash e-l-e-n-a take ownership of your health my listener and thank you athletic greens and ag1